You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Putting together a zine is a real creative challenge. I loved putting together my first film photography zine every summer. There is quite a steep learning curve though if you've never done it before. In this episode, I'll be talking you through the complete journey of creating a zine, including project ideas, how to edit and review your work, how to choose your layout, whether you should include text or not, how to choose which paper to use, and why I decided to use InDesign and Mixum to create my zine. Also keep listening to find out how you can get your hands on a PDF copy of my first film photography zine every summer. I'm Matt Murray, and this is Matt Loves Cameras. analog photography related. My friends, how are you? I hope you are well, wherever you are, all around the world. Wow, it's been like a month since I released my last podcast. The time has absolutely flown by. I'm still here at home, working at home. Uh, the kids are going back to school, uh, but it's been a really busy few weeks. We've had some home renovations. Uh, we had a little pot of money put aside at the start of the year. We were going to go on holiday somewhere nice like Bali or somewhere warm and tropical. And of course, because of COVID-19, uh, that money just sat in the bank account and eventually my wife said, hey, how about we use that money to um, make some of the much needed renovations to our house? So we've had painters in our house painting all the internal walls uh, for about a week now. And we also need a new flooring in the kids' bedrooms. So uh, all that holiday money, it's all gone now, sadly. Uh, and it's been put into the house. But the house is looking a lot better. Um, I'm just I'm just trying to think of a way to get rid of all the paint smells. They're kind of driving me a bit crazy. Now, something else I've been doing during the last month is I've been going back and forth to the post office quite a lot. Thank you to everyone who has ordered my zine every summer. I think I've sold maybe in the low 20s now, about 23, 24 zines. So thank you to everyone all around the world who's purchased them. I think I've sold zines uh, mostly to the United Kingdom, the United States, Canada, and here in Australia. I'm trying to think if there's any other countries... I don't think there was. I think that's the, the four countries that I've sold the zines to so far. So thank you to everyone uh, who's bought a zine. I much, much appreciated. Now, I still have plenty of copies of the zine left. If you still want to buy one, you can find out more info at mattlovescameras.com. Uh, but keep listening because later in this episode, right near the end, I'll be telling you about a way that you can get your hands on an e-zine, an e-version of every summer for just three US dollars. So keep listening uh, near the end of the show for that information. Also, I've been getting quite a few entries for the Matt Loves Panos cheap plastic focus-free camera challenge that we've been running for a while now. So again, head over to mattlovescameras.com and you'll see some fantastic entries on the page. I've just added a few more in the last few days. I think we've got about 10 or 11 now and there's some really impressive photos. Uh, I know there's quite a few people who are, are still going to send their photos to me. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, to getting some more entries. So the deadline is the 30th of June. Uh, so that's one month today, 30th of June. So yeah, make sure that you get those entries in or, um, you know, grab a plastic camera and get out there and shoot. You've still got a month. That's plenty of time to get out there and, and put a roll through one of those plastic beauties. 
I've also had quite a few rolls of film developed. I headed over to Indrapilly and got some, I think it was six rolls of film developed at Camera House Indrapilly. And uh, one of them in particular, I was really wowed with. And that was a roll of Lomo Purple that I put through my Vivitar Ultra Wide and Slim. Now, this was the Christmas present sent to me from a person called Brooklyn. Uh, a bit confusing, but there's a someone called Brooklyn who lives in the United States. They don't live in Brooklyn. Uh, they live up in somewhere in Minnesota, maybe, or somewhere, you know, up the northern part of the United States. I can't remember where. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. Uh, but thank you so much to Brooklyn for sending me the Ultra Wide and Slim and the Lomo Purple. I think one or two people actually commented to me, you're going to put Lomo Purple through that plastic piece of rubbish? And yes, I did. Yes, I really did. And the photos turned out really well. Um, they, found out, they turned out really amazing, actually. So I posted some on my Instagram. If you go to Matt Loves Cameras on Instagram, there's a highlighted story of Lomo Purple pictures. And I really love those uh, pictures. So I'm definitely going to shoot some more rolls of Lomo Purple very soon. I also had some rolls developed uh, with my Ansco Pix. I got an Ansco Pix as well. And so I took some photos with that for my uh, Pano Challenge face-off with Matthew Joseph, Mr. X-Pan Man. And what else? I had, I think I had a roll back from, oh, from the Leica. Alan at the Film Sweats sent me his Leica, one of his Leicas. His Leica, was it uh, CLE? Is that what it is? I can't remember now. Um, but um, it was a lovely camera, a beautiful camera uh, that came to me via Alistair Dougal Duggal uh, here in Brisbane. And um, yeah, I shot a roll through that. And um, I did enjoy it. I, I really liked the, the, the Leica, playing around with the Leica and taking some photos. Some of the photos, um, I did miss focus. I think the range find a patch uh, didn't quite suit my my deteriorating eyesight um, but I really liked using the camera it was really nice and um, you know maybe one day when I win lotto I'll get a I'll get a Leica and a, a nice M6 or a M2 or 3 who knows um, but yeah it was really lovely to use that and thank you to Alan for sending me that and that camera is now on the way back to Alan after about being with me for about three months I think sorry Alan that it took so long now what other cameras did I shoot with I shot with oh I shot with my my new big mini yes I bought a new big mini guys so um yeah you might know from this podcast I reviewed the big mini bm 201 a few months ago on this podcast and um, I had to send it back because there was some uh, significant issues with the big mini and it wasn't cheap so I didn't want to keep it um I thought you know it's a lot of money for a big mini that doesn't work properly anyway one day on ebay uh one day late at night actually I had an email from ebay uh, because I've got all these searches set up in ebay and they email me every day and spam me with all these stuff that's on eBay, trying to tempt me to, to spend what little money I have. Um, but one day I noticed this um, this big mini email. So I thought I'll open it up and see where it is. And there was an, a big mini in Australia here. It was a big mini HG, which is the BM300 model. So I believe that's the first model where they moved from the from the square sort of lens housing uh, to the round sort of lens housing on the front. And uh, it, was a, it was a brand new in-box BM300 camera with the original manual, warranty, strap, everything uh, for 200 Australian dollars, which is about, about 130 US. And um, I was like, wow, <laughs> like... If this was in Japan, this camera, this would be from a Japanese seller. It would be probably be you know two to three times this price, and it only been listed for a couple of hours on eBay Australia. So I just bought it straight away. Um, and the guy, I think he had returns, you know, for thirty days as well. If there's anything wrong with the camera, uh, so I put a test roll through that, and I'm very very happy with those photos as well. Um, so yeah, very cool. I I finally have my own little big mini, and fingers crossed, it's gonna keep working for a long time. 
I also shot a roll on a uh, Superheads Ultra Wide and Slim. So this isn't the official Vivitar Ultra Wide and Slim. It's the Superheads version, which are usually very bright colours. And mine is a pink one, which I bought from the Film Photography Project Store in New York. Oh, no, not New York, New Jersey. I always get that wrong. Uh, so yeah, really, really cool. Um, so check out the Film Photography Store, um, Film Photography Podcast Store. They've got a lot of cool cameras on there, including those uh, Superheads Ultra Wide and Slim models. And what else was there? Oh, the Super Sampler. That's right. I think I told you guys last time that I've been playing in the back garden with the Super Sampler, the Lomo Super Sampler that I got in a big job lot of Lomography cameras a couple of years ago. Well, for the first time, I put a roll of film through it and they turned out really cool. Um, as predicted, um, some of the lighting in the back garden when it was shady wasn't bright enough. It's, it's coming into winter here at the moment. And um, yeah, it was a little bit too shady in the afternoon uh, when I, the kids are jumping up and down on the trampoline. But there were some good shots on the role uh the other issue was that my i took a few pictures of my daughter riding her bike and uh yeah my timing wasn't very good i mean there is no viewfinder on the camera so you've just got to like hold it up and aim it at someone or something uh so um some of the shots just turned out of the street basically um not of my daughter but i'm, I'm gonna keep uh, playing around with that super sampler and hopefully i'll bring you a review on that very soon So just a quick recap, my name is Matt Murray. I'm a photographer and camera enthusiast from sunny Brisbane in Australia. This podcast is all about analog photography. Usually in the podcast, I review a different film or instant camera, telling you about its history, its features, what it's like to use and what kind of photos you can expect from it. But in today's episode, episode 32 of Matt Loves Cameras, it's a little bit different. I'm telling you the tips, tricks and advice and some of the pitfalls about making your own zine. And I'm going to be giving you a lot of things to think about as you put your zine together so yeah i'll be talking about the pros and cons of a lot of different ways of doing things and uh you know but ultimately of course you know your zine is completely up to you and how you want to do it i'll just be giving you some things to think about now, just one final word of warning before we get stuck into today's episode. It's kind of a long episode. I think it's one of my longest ever. It's about one and a half hours. Oh my gosh. How did I ever talk for that long, guys? But uh, you might want a, a strong cup of coffee or a few cups of tea to, to get through this one. So let's kick off by talking about what a zine actually is. And the concept of a zine has kind of morphed and changed over the years. So don't be surprised if you show someone your zine produced by a printer and they sort of say to you, hang on, that's not a zine. It's not photocopied. It's not stapled. That's too, that's too good to be a zine. So yeah, it has kind of changed over the years. But here is the definition of a zine. A zine is a self-published booklet of images and or text produced in small print runs. So the word zine is derived from the words magazine and also fanzine. So fanzines date back to the 1930s when fans of a particular movement in popular culture produced unofficial booklets about their favourite science fiction book, their favourite comic, their favourite band, their favourite sports team. So the first fanzine ever was 1930. It was called The Comet and it was a science fiction fanzine. Now the word fanzine I, I don't think was actually coined until 10 years later in 1940, but this is the origin of this kind of publication. 
Throughout the 1950s and 60s, there were a whole load of technological advancements which made it possible for people in the coming years to make their own zines. So these were things like the invention of the photocopier, and the first commercial photocopier was introduced by Xerox in 1959. Throughout the 1960s, there were further advancements to the typewriter by companies like IBM, and offset printing also became more and more affordable which really allowed the development of alternative newspapers and underground comics and things like that. In the mid-1970s, there was an explosion of punk zines. These were zines all about punk music, punk literature, social commentary, punk poetry, all that kind of thing. And these were seen as a real alternative to the established mainstream media and press that was available at the time. From the late 70s into the early 80s, most officers also had photocopiers, which really helped with zine production. And there's also saw the rise of photocopier shops or copy shops where people could take their raw material, their text, their images, photocopy them and then staple them together and then distribute them to their fans. The popularity of zines continued through the 1980s and also the 1990s. But these days in the 21st century, the word zine has kind of changed a little bit. So now we have online printers, online photo book companies who create things called zines, but they're a lot more sophisticated than those sort of photocopied and stapled uh, things that people used to put together. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the, the zines produced these days professionally by these companies doesn't mean they're better than the old put together, stapled, photocopied ones. It, it just means they're different. And, um, you know, what a zine is now it probably is, looks different to what a zine used to look like. So now that we've talked about what a zine is, let's talk about why you would want to create a zine. And I've got four reasons down here. The first one, it's a creative challenge. Putting together your photography, choosing the collection of images and text and bringing it all together, working with a printer, it's a creative challenge. And if you've never done it before, it's a really rewarding creative challenge. You get an amazing feeling of accomplishment creating a zine, just like, you know, you might get an amazing feeling of accomplishment the first time you took a really good photo or the first time you developed your own film or printed your own uh, image in the darkroom. Creating a zine is also a great creative challenge for a photographer, bringing everything together. The second reason why you might want to make a zine, you can grow and improve your skills in a whole load of areas. So it's not just photography that goes into making a zine, it also elements of design, elements of editing and choosing your photos, writing, and of course marketing. So there's a whole load of different skills that go into making a zine and you can cert certainly have opportunities to improve them along the way. The third reason, it's a brilliant way to showcase your photography. A zine brings together your photos as a collection in one volume for people to look at and appreciate. It's a little bit different to posting photos uh, on Instagram where people typically consume Instagram photos, you know, one photo at a time from all different people. I mean, sure, they can go to your profile and look at your images there as a collection. But certainly with a zine, you can bring everything together in that one volume and tie those images together as a collection. So that's one reason why I really love zines. And the fourth and final reason, it's a great way to build ties with your community. Yes, you can have a website and social media and take part in, in Facebook groups, and I'd certainly recommend all those. And of course, uh, support podcasters and support YouTubers, go on photo walks, all that kind of thing. 
but having a zine is another way to build ties with your community. People are always interested in if you as a film photographer has a zine or not. Uh, so if you have one, that's a great way to show to people how you're sort of, you know, putting stuff out there in the film photography community for other people to appreciate. Now, throughout this podcast today, I'm going to talk a lot about two of the choices that I made to create my zine. So the first was my choice of InDesign, Adobe InDesign, as my design and layout software to create the zine. And the second choice was the use of Mixum as my printer. So throughout this episode, I'll talk a lot about the choices I made and how I, I, I created my first film photography zine every summer. Uh, but of course, if you want to use a different printer, if you want to use different layout software, that's all cool. Um, hopefully, you'll still get quite a bit out of this podcast about the process of making one if you've never done it before. Or even if you have done it before, maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, you'll pick up some a different tip or a different way of, of looking at the whole zine creation process. So why did I choose Mixum? Well, Mixum are a printing company with offices in the UK, USA, Canada, and Australia. And I must say that I, I have no affiliation with Mixum. I've not received any freebies for them or anything like that. Uh, but I just found their website really good to use. Uh, you can sort of quickly work out how much a zine will cost you. There's a lot of customization options. And of course, I'd heard a lot of good things about Mixum from the film photography community. So that's the reason I chose Mixum. There are, of course, many alternatives to using Mixum. Two of the more popular ones are Blurb and MagCloud. So these are sort of known as photo book sort of companies. Um, but I understand they do produce zine-like publications. Uh, they might call them slightly different things, but they do make that kind of publication. And they are very popular with people as well. So let's have a chat about the pros and cons of using a service like Mixum over, say, Blurb or MagCloud. And these are just the ones that I thought of. Um, certainly, if you know any more, please let me know. So the first reason that you might want to choose Mixum over Blurb or MagCloud is because of the different ways that you can customize your zine. Mixum gives you so many options. So looking here at the Mixum website, you can decide whether it's color or black and white. You can choose between satin, gloss or uncoated paper. You can change the number of pages of your zine, you know, from eight right up to 400. <laughs> that would be a very big zine. Um, you can change the, the shape of the zine or the format of the paper from, you know, here in Australia, it's A4, A5, A6, A7, uh, you know, square zines, all sorts of custom sort of sizes, which is really, really cool. You can change the orientation. If it's a rectangular one, you can change it to portrait or landscape orientation. You can choose the, the paper weight, which is the thickness of the paper, anywhere from 90 GSM up to 200 GSM. And of course, you can also change things like the binding from staples to perfect binding to wiro to loop binding. So there is so many different options for you. And it's really good fun to play around with those. If you decide to add a cover on your zine as well, which I did, you can then further customize things by choosing a, a different kind of paper, a different kind of finish. Uh, so for example, with my zine every summer, which is available on my website for sale, mattlovescameras.com. Um, so I chose 48 pages for the zine and then I added a cover. So the pages of a zine are uncoated paper. 
And then for the cover, I chose a satin cover, which had a soft touch lamination finish. And of course, the cover had a heavier weight or a heavier thickness of paper than the pages inside. So I really loved that I could go on there and really choose all those different options um, right down to the finish and everything. It was a really wonderful experience. Whereas with Blurb and MagCloud, look, you do get a lot of choices, uh, but you sort of it does feel like you're more locked in to sort of set products. And they do have some amazing, cool-looking products. But when I went in and played around, you know, you couldn't choose the weight of paper. You couldn't choose um, different things that you could choose on Mixum. Now, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe people go to Mixum and get confused by all those choices. So maybe people would prefer to go somewhere which is a bit more locked down in terms of choice. Uh, but certainly for me, I really liked that with Mixum. The second reason you might want to choose Mixum over Blurb or MagCloud. Typically with Mixum, what people do is they order a stack of zines and then they sell that stack of zines through their website, through social media. And when they do that, when you buy a zine of someone, you know, quite often they personalize the whole experience. So, you know, they'll send it in a nice envelope with cool stamps on and they'll write a nice little handwritten letter and they will might send you an Instax or a roll of film or some stickers, stuff like that. So that's one another reason why you might want to choose Mixum. You can really personalize the experience of sending someone that zine as well. Now with Blurb and MagCloud, of course you can do that. You could order a whole stack of them and do the same thing. But typically what people do with Blurb and MagCloud, it, it's more of a print-on-demand service. You know, people share the link and people buy that publication direct from the publisher and it ships from the publisher to the customer. Now, recently I was listening to Ted Vieira's excellent podcast and he was talking about this and he said that he was trying to work out a way, uh, he sells through MagCloud and he said that people had actually asked him to autograph uh, copies of his books, but he couldn't do it because they're shipped directly from the publisher to the customer and he was trying to work out a way to, to facilitate that in the future. So that's one issue to consider. If you did want to send little goodies to people or little surprises or Instax or prints or whatever you want to send people, that is uh, an issue to consider. Do you, would, do you want to have a whole stack at home that you then post out or do you just want to do the drop shipping option where it gets sent from the publisher straight to the, the customer? That's another decision that only, of course, you can make. Now, the disadvantages, disadvantages of using someone like Mixum over, say, MagCloud or Blurb, with Mixum, typically you have to order a significant number of these zines to make it economically viable. I would say probably, I don't know, 25 or 30. Uh, that's the kind of area where the cost per zine comes down. Okay, if you only order one or two, the, the cost is quite high. Obviously, um, you know, in terms of the printer, it's not very um, good for the printer to only make one or two copies of a zine. There's a lot of work involved, right? So the, it's around that 25 to 30 mark where the cost per issue comes down a bit. So that's the thing. You will be sitting on some stock of those zines. You know, just say you order 25, 30, 40 copies of your zine, and then what if you can't sell them? Um, you'll be stuck with a stack of them. You know, whereas with Blurb or MagCloud, that's not the case. You can just order one for yourself. And if no one likes the concept, no one likes your photography, you're not out of pocket. You haven't got to, to flog your, your stack of zines. Okay, so that's one disadvantage. You, you could be sitting on stock there. 
The second disadvantage is there's that upfront cost of carrying stock. Of course, it's one thing having a whole load of stock you can't get rid of in your house. The other thing is you actually have to pay for them. You do have to pay for that stack of, of zines in your house. Whereas MagCloud and Blurb, you know, you can just drop ship them to people when they buy them and you're you're not um, worrying about 20 copies of a zine or book that you've got that you're, you're trying to get rid of so that's another another disadvantage of Mixum I guess and the third disadvantage of course is that when people do order your zine you'll be going back and forth to the post office all the time now that's not a bad thing uh, but I'm just letting you know that of course you know when you do get orders for zines you will be going back and forth to the post office quite a lot so you might have to make special little trips here and there and um, you know it doesn't worry me but certainly I I guess some people that would annoy them now the other choice I made was using Adobe InDesign software for the layout and design of my zine now there are advantages and disadvantages to this of course as well So the first advantage of using InDesign is that you have a lot of creative control, well, complete creative control, more or less, over how your zine will look. You can create the pages, you can create typography, layouts, anything you want you can do in InDesign. This is a a bit of a plus and a minus, I guess, because if you don't have much design uh, nous, uh, you won't know what to do. And so a blank canvas could be quite bewildering and daunting to you. Of course, the other option on how to create a zine would be to use some of the the templates or the software that these big book companies like Blurb and MagCloud have, which uh, typically make it easy for people to create, uh, you know, choose a product and then fill the pages of that product with, you know, photos or text or whatever else. Uh, So typically those programs are quite easy to use. And for a novice, it would be easier using one of those programs rather than, say, Adobe InDesign. Now, the second advantage of using Adobe InDesign is that the output from InDesign is a PDF. So you upload a PDF to a printer like Mixum and they will make that into a zine. Now, with that PDF, you can actually turn that into a a sales instrument in its own. You You could sell the digital PDF and a lot of people do that. A lot of people sell digital zines, okay? So you can easily do that from Adobe InDesign, not only upload the PDF for prints, but you can create a PDF of the zine for online sale. Now, if you're using one of the bits of software that some of these other companies have, you can create a PDF, but I have heard that they charge you. They do charge you to create a PDF uh, from their software. So just, I don't know how much it is, uh, but just keep that in mind and maybe make some inquiries if you want to go down that route. It could cost you money. The disadvantages of using Adobe InDesign, I kind of touched on these already, but the first one is it's got a bit of a steep learning curve. Now, even if you've used uh, Photoshop for years like me, InDesign is a little bit different. Uh, There's a whole load of things in there that I'd never heard of before, and I basically learned InDesign just by playing around. Um, So yeah, there is a little bit of a steep learning curve. You you might pick it up really quickly, or you might quit after a few hours. And certainly I've, I've heard from photographers say both things. The second disadvantage of Adobe InDesign is that it costs money. Of course, yes, you can get a free trial. I think it's only like a week or something, um, but it does cost money and it's not really cheap unless you're a student or you get a good deal somehow. So that's the other sort of part of the disadvantage. Uh, You know, it will cost you money to have Adobe InDesign. You 
You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. So probably the most important decision you'll need to make is what is your zine about? So typically with zines, they revolve around a central idea. So let's talk about that. Ideas could be anything. It could be a photo project you've worked on for the last 12 months. Maybe you spent 12 months photographing the local people in your town or people at a local club or something like that. And you've made a photo project around that. And then to wrap the project up, you want to create a zine at the end with those images telling that story. Maybe it's a zine about a location. It could be about your town or your city or a region uh, that you live in, or maybe a location that you visited just briefly. Uh, So for example, my first film photography zine every summer was a collection of 48 pages of color film photos taken on the Isle of Wight with small compact cameras when I was on holiday there for six days. So it doesn't have to be the place where you live. It could be a place that you just visit. Your zine could be based around images of a certain item. So for example, Animal Mystery uh, released a book where there was images of mattresses on the roadside, which is quite a common sight in the UK. So that's quite a fascinating thing. And I think he mixed images of those mattresses with stories and poems from guest contributors. So that's a really interesting idea. I've also heard of other film photography zines based around a certain type of film. Like I think there was one around the double X film, double X project. There's also one on a certain type of lens. So I think there was a 135 millimeter lens project. They, I think they created a zine as well. It could be a, about a certain type of camera. So there's definitely been zines um, from half frame cameras before. It could be about a feeling or, or an idea or it could tell a story about uh, an area or a people, or maybe about you and your household and your family. The ideas are limitless. There are so many different ideas for your zine. And if you did want some inspiration, just jump onto Google or Etsy and just type in film photography zine and see the other kind of ideas that people have had for creating their zines. And of course, it could just be that you want to create a zine of your best images. And there's no sort of There's no sort of idea tying them together other than this is your little portfolio of film photography images. And that's fine as well. It's your publication. It's completely up to you. So when you think you have a set of images for this idea for your zine, the next thing you probably want to do is somehow edit them down to a a story, a narrative throughout your zine that sort of flows and makes sense. There's various ways of doing this. Some people like to print out all the images. Uh, actually print them out either as, uh, you know, six by four images or print them out on on paper and sort of, you know, cut them up and sort of have them whole load of little images scattered around the room and sort of work out the flow of their zine or their book that way by rearranging physical pieces of paper. I did try that method. I, I just found that what I had at the end of everything was, was a whole lot of pieces of paper on the floor. And um, I, that method didn't really work for me, but I, I did try it. What worked for me was looking at the images in Lightroom. So I created um, a collection in Lightroom of all the images of the Isle of Wight. I sort of went through, I had about six different rolls of film from six different cameras and I just went through them at the start and I just I did some ratings on the photos. So I just starred, you know, using the, the bracket keys on the keyboard, I sort of gave them stars to how much I liked them, you know, three, four, five stars. 
at the end of that process, I put a filter on the collection and said, show me only the images with two or three, st two stars and above, I think it was. And all of a sudden I had this collection of, I don't know, 50 to 60 images then I could choose from for the zine. I don't think I actually used that many in the end. There were some that didn't make the cut. And the reason they didn't make the cut was there were other similar images in the zine or it was an image that didn't really make sense to include because it wasn't part of a story. So there were little choices like that I made along the way. Uh, but I, I found that using Lightroom and, you know, assigning ratings and then filtering on that rating so I could only see the images I really liked, I found that worked out well for me. And when I had those 50 or 60 images, I then exported them uh, for print and I then started pulling them into InDesign. So I had a page layout in InDesign and I started pulling images onto different pages, images that worked well together uh, and sort of images in different sections I wanted together. So that worked out really well for me and I really much preferred that way of doing things using Lightroom and then pulling them into InDesign that way onto pages rather than using you know pieces of paper on the floor. But it's just up to you however you work best. Now, before I talk too much about InDesign, there is one important choice you'll need to make before you start working with InDesign, and that is the format of your finished zine. So as I said earlier, there are so many creative choices that you can make when you publish a photography zine. The look and the feel of the final product is up to you. And one of those choices you'll need to make is the size of the zine. And I guess the key consideration here is, do the images that you've chosen to put into your zine, do they work with the format of paper, you know, the size of the paper? And I was looking at A5 zines originally. So an A5 zine is, what's that? It's 148 millimeters by 210 millimeters, which is 5.8 inches by 8.3 inches. So it's quite small and compact. I was looking at that, but I was thinking about some of the images that I had, you know, the landscape images. And I was thinking, well, if I had a if I had this this A5 zine in portrait orientation, the landscape ones wouldn't be very big. And so I was sort of thinking about all that. And then all of a sudden one day I bought a zine from Ben Mills from Hip Shoot Film called Four Stops Volume 1. And this came in the post and it was uh, 210 millimeters square, which is 8.3 inches square. And I just thought this was perfect, this size. I really like the zine. So definitely check out Ben Mills' Hip Shoot Film website where he sells the zines there. And it, to me, that that sort of just over eight inches square book, uh, which is 21 centimeters square, it's just a perfect size. Um, you know, the square pages, they suit both landscape and portrait orientation images. And of course, they support uh, square images as well. So I just, I was looking at my photos that I chose in Lightroom and I exported into a folder. And I thought about how, those images would look on the, those square pages. And it quickly sort of dawned on me that this was the way to go. Having this square layout was the way to go. It was the most uh, flexible layout for the images and the text and everything else. So that's what I chose. And of course, you can also do double page spreads with a square layout, uh, but of course you do have to crop the images a little bit. And I, di I did include two double page spreads in my zine every summer. And another thing you'll need to think about that will influence your template in InDesign is how many pages you're going to make the zine and what kind of binding you'd like. 
So you might not think that these choices matter that much when you start creating your zine in InDesign, but they definitely do. And I'll tell you why. You really need to create your zine in InDesign knowing how many pages your zine's gonna be and what kind of binding you wanna use. Because those two choices do affect the margins around the edges of the pages, especially the inner margin. So when you're looking at two pages facing together, the inner margin is the area between the two pages there. Now, of course, Mixum do give you templates that you can download and they give you guidelines about how big the inner margin should be and the outer margins and the bleed area, all that kind of stuff. But one thing I didn't notice until just before I sent my zine to print was that they said this, with perfectly bound books, for every 10 pages you need to add, I think it was an extra one millimeter on the internal margins. And that's because when the, the book is glued together, of course, when a book's glued together, of course, you, you sort of miss a little bit of the page um, in the spine there, right? Because it's all bound together with glue. So you had to allow a little bit more space to make sure that your images or text weren't swallowed up by the binding, right? So that's something that I missed and I created my whole zine with the wrong internal margins. And I, what I had to do was <laughs> about a week before I sent it to print, I had to move those margins of the text and images in on every single page of the book, which is easy to do. The problem was is that I've got text in my book and that completely then changed the flow of the text. It moved some words onto different lines and it was a bit of a nightmare to do. And I wished I'd sort of started off with my zine knowing exactly how many pages um, and exactly what kind of binding. And I wished I'd read the instructions properly because it would have saved me a lot of pain. And it was actually during this process of me changing these margins around and moving words around, I actually put a bit of an error into my book. The book was completely perfect in terms of typos and spelling mistakes and all that kind of stuff. And one very small error came in. Uh, on one page, there's an extra little random word, the word all, A-L-L, uh, that crept in where it shouldn't have been because I, I was playing around with these margins. Uh, so definitely get the number of pages right, get the type of binding right that you want to work with, and then look at the example template or the example margins on Mixum's website and create your document up that way. And then make sure you also read all of the instructions like that um, you know, extra one millimeter internal margin per 10 pages rule because it does really make a difference. Now, if you're not sure what kind of format of zine you want, you don't know how big to make it, you don't know what kind of paper, you don't know what kind of cover, you don't know what kind of binding, uh, just do some research. So what I did was I bought a few zines, including Ben Mills, Hip Shoot Film zine. I bought some a couple of zines of Eric, who is the host of the All Through a Lens podcast, and they came all the way from the United States. So that was really great getting them. I was lucky enough to be sent a couple of copies of Matthew Joseph's lovely end of year zine, uh, which sort of captures his year of photography, uh, which was really fantastic. Thank you, Matthew. I bought another one called Atlas Flora off a lady called Lisa in Melbourne. And Lisa went around photographing all the, the trees and flowers that uh, honeybees go to in Melbourne. So that was really fascinating. And what else? I think I've got a couple other ones here, but I can't remember what they are. But that was a really good sort of little project there where I had a look at those zines 
and worked out from what other people did in terms of what content they put in them and in terms of the choices they made around paper and binding and size, all that kind of stuff. I slowly worked out what I liked and what I didn't like. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't a zine I got, which I hated. I think I just preferred one over the others. And certainly when I got Ben Mills' hip shoot film zine, I knew that was the size that I wanted to work with. And the other thing I did was this. I actually spoke to a few people about how they made their zines. So I messaged Ben on Instagram. I messaged uh, the lady called Lisa. I didn't know her, but I just messaged her out of the blue and asked her about the choices she made in putting her zine together. And I also messaged Matthew Joseph and was talking to him about his zine as well. Uh, so I gave all of those three people a thank you at the back of my book every summer, or back of my zine every summer uh, for, the, for the zine inspo. Uh, so thank you to all of them for their help. And through that process, you know, physically looking at zines and asking people questions, that's how I worked out what I wanted. You're listening to Matt Lowe's Cameras. So in the end, I went with a square 21 centimeter or 210 millimeter square zine, which is just over eight inches square. I had 48 pages of color film photography in it. I did it on uncoated paper because I really liked the feel of the uncoated paper that Ben Mills used in his zine. I wanted to do something a little bit different for the cover though. So when I was on Mixum's website, I chose the satin paper for the cover, which was a heavier type of paper than the, un- than the uncoated paper that the pages inside use. And I then decided I wanted to have a different finish. Uh, so what you can do is when you choose your cover, you can actually choose all these different finishes on the Mixum website, like matte lamination, gloss lamination, UV gloss, UV matte, spot UV. I don't know what half of these are, to be perfectly honest with you. But the one that I really liked was the soft touch lamination. So I chose a, a satin cover with a soft touch lamination finish, which gives it a lovely velvety feel to the outside of my zine. I really loved that. Now, one more tip for you. When they might be thinking, how did you know you wanted that soft touch laminate finish? Uh, because none of the zines that I had had that. How did I know I wanted that? That's because I actually got into Mixum and asked them to send me a sample pack of their papers. So this is something else you can do. Get in touch with your printer or get in touch with Mixum. They will send you a sample pack of all the different types of papers. So you can actually feel the papers. You know, even if you don't have a zine using every type of paper, using this little sample pack, you can work out what you like and what you don't like. So that's what I I did. I knew as soon as I felt that soft touch laminate finish, I thought this would be really cool. And that's what I chose for my zine. Now, one of the reasons I like Mixum so much is because of that user interface on their website. You can go onto the product you want. You can play around with the paper, the cover, the finishing, how many pages you want, all different sizes. And it'll give you a real-time sort of estimate there, how much it's going to cost and the estimated shipping date. So I think in terms of their website, their website is fantastic. And a lot of other printers... Uh, I looked at here in Australia, just don't have that. Some some did, some had a similar thing, but they didn't have the kind of product I wanted. They didn't have a square zine, um, but some others don't. You have to inquire about a product and it's really annoying. Mix them, you see everything right on their website, which is fantastic. Now, something else you see uh, just under the prices, it will estimate the total weight of your order. Now, this, friends, is where I ran into a little bit of trouble. So I ordered... 30 
copies of my first scene and it gave the weight at five point something kilos. I can't remember what, what it was. So what I did was I divided the weight of the, the estimated weight of the order by the number of copies of the zine. And that gave me a, uh, a weight per zine of about 218 grams. Okay, now if you don't understand grams, you don't have to worry at this stage. All you have to know is that the, the estimated weight of the zine was 218 grams. Now, here in Australia, postage is quite expensive, uh, both domestically within Australia and overseas. So I was thinking, right, if I get any international customers who want my zine, I better go and look at Australia Post's website. So on their website, I saw that they had these prepaid envelopes and they were big enough for the zine. I went to the post office with uh, Ben Mill's hip shoot film zine uh, just to make sure it would fit in and it did. So I knew it would fit in the envelope. Uh, and the envelope is basically it's 10 Australian dollars and you can post it anywhere in the world. So 10 Australian dollars is a, a, around seven US dollars at the moment. So I thought, right, that's brilliant. All I need to make sure is, you know, the weight of this envelope and the zine is under 250 grams because if it was over 250 grams, I wouldn't be able to use this envelope. And uh, with the estimated weight at 218 grams, with the weight of the envelope, it took it up to about 240 something. And then I thought, right, I can put an Instax or a little letter or a couple of postcards in with the zines when I post them overseas, and it'll still just be under 250 grams. Fantastic. Now, when my first batch of zines came, they were not 218 grams. They were actually, I think it was something like 232 grams. So it was 14 grams heavier, which is about half an ounce. Uh, and so basically what happened was I could not send these zines overseas. Uh, so that's a little trap there. If you are relying on that estimation of how much your zine or your publication will weigh on the Mixum website or on any other website, make sure you add a bit more, add another 10% just to make sure uh, that it's not going to take you over any weight restrictions when you're shipping it. So what I had to do really was I basically had to do another run of the zine. Now there was one really easy way that I made the zine lighter. So with the first edition of the zine, which I'm pretty much just posting to people in Australia, the, the pages were uncoded pages and they had a weight of 170 GSM, which is the, let's have a look here, the second heaviest paper on the Mixum website for a zine. So I chose the second heaviest option there. And it's got a lovely feel to it. It's got a really, you know, uh, heavy feel, lovely feel to the paper. It's great. What I did with the second batch of zines was I changed that weight of paper to the next one down, which is 150 GSM. Uh, so it's only a small change. Uh, I think you probably only notice a difference in the weight of the paper if you're in the printing trade. <laughs> I think if you are just a normal consumer like me, I don't think you would probably know the difference between 170 and 150 GSM paper. Uh, but because this, there were so many pages, there's 48 pages in my zine, that tiny change brought the weight of the zine down to about, I think it was 186 grams, which was perfect then for overseas. So what I could do then was I could put the zine in the envelope, I could add some postcards, a letter, an Instax, and it would all be under 250 grams. But unfortunately, guys, I learned that the hard way. Um, I had to do two runs of the zine. 
So that's another tip I would give you. Make sure that you know what the shipping options are in your country, both for shipping the zine domestically to people in your own country and shipping the zine overseas. And really, you've got to look for probably the most economical way to do that. Uh, unfortunately, here in Australia, like I said, um, you know, the cheapest option for me to send the zine overseas was is seven US dollars which is quite a considerable amount of money uh, in, in terms of the total cost of the zine. So for international orders, uh, the cost of the zine, including shipping, is $17.50 US. So there you go, $7. It, it, it's almost, I don't know, was it 40% roughly of the total cost? Now, of course, you've only got to be worried about the cost of the shipping if you do plan to, to ship your zine to people, which is quite common. But another thing you could do would be sell your zine at events. So I think I talked to you guys a while ago about how I had a goal to get rid of some cameras this year and, and slim down, slim the herd, thin the herd, not slim the herd, thin the herd of my cameras, uh, which I, I failed miserably at, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, but I still have all these cameras here and I do want to get rid of some. I did inquire about a camera fair, getting a table at a camera fair here in Brisbane, which takes place usually in June. Now, I haven't heard anything back, obviously, with COVID-19 and all that. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if the event's going to take place in June or not. Actually, probably probably not because June is only in a few days' time. Um, but hopefully, if they do have this camera fair later this year, uh, I'll be able to take along not only my cameras that I want to get rid of, I can take copies of my zine, of course, as well. And they will be cheaper selling them in person to people. So, of course, think about that. Think about taking your, you know, zines along to events or, or camera meetups or photo walks and stuff like that. Because you never know, someone might have a look and go, oh, yeah, I'd love to buy a copy of your zine. So when you work out how many pages you want your zine to be, you work out what size you want your zine to be, and you research a lot of information around margins, internal margins, and page bleed, all that kind of stuff, which your printer can tell you about, and certainly Mixum tell you about that on their website. It's pretty easy to set up your document in InDesign. You just do File, New Document, and you can choose the width and the height of your document, I chose uh, millimeters. So my my every summer zine was 210 millimeters, which is how big the the Mixum uh, one of the Mixum zines is. And then you can look at how many pages you want. And um, you know I put in I think I put 48 there. Uh, I ticked the box that said facing pages. So you sort of get two pages up at a time, which is quite nice. And then I went down to the margin section and I put in the margins that Mixum recommended. And then there's one more part you need to do, which is the bleed and slug. And you just need to put the bleed in on those pages uh, for Mixum as well. So the reason you need a bleed in a document, I believe it's because, you know, if you're printing all the way to the edge, so if you've got a photo that takes up the entire page, uh, you need the bleed, you need the image to cover the whole bleed section. So when they trim it down, you're not left with like a white kind of board around the outside. So that's the only way I know how to describe it. But trust me, you just need to put that bleed in to make sure your publication uh, looks okay. Now, as I said earlier, using InDesign, there is a little bit of a learning curve, but uh, through this project, I really, I think I improved my skills quite a bit with InDesign. I played about with it before, but there's nothing like, you know, having a project to finish that really makes you want to learn about a program so you can get the best results. And after a while, you know, I was, I found quite a few tips and tricks in InDesign. Uh, and what I might actually do is I might actually do a video at some stage, just playing around with InDesign, showing you my, my every summer zine in InDesign and, and things I did there to to uh, create that and export that for for prints and guys I'm certainly not an expert with graphic design or in design but I can sort of show you what I know and hopefully a few people will find that interesting or useful 
once you start playing around with it, it is it is kind of user friendly, intuitive. Once you know what you're doing, uh, you can sort of you know move pages around. So you have a whole load of pages. I had you know 24, I had 48 pages in my zine, so I had 24 sets of pages facing each other. And you know once I already laid out an image on a page with a description underneath, it was actually it's really easy just to move those pages around. So I moved some pages from the start to the the end and vice versa. You just go into the pages view of InDesign document and you can just grab a page and move it anywhere in the document. Uh, so it's really easy to use. Um, another thing I found really useful as well was that when I put an image in, uh, a couple of times the images were a little bit dark. So what I did was I went into Photoshop and just lightened those images ever so slightly and made them look a bit better. And then it's funny, they were one of them was slightly cropped. And when I dragged the uncropped version of the image back into InDesign, InDesign knew exactly how to crop it, which I was kind of amazed at. Um, so it not only it knew it knew it was the same photo, but it just cropped it the same way, which I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Check out the show notes at mattlovescameras.com. If you're on Instagram, come say hi at mattlovescameras. Or if you fancy getting in touch, Drop us a line at mattlovescameras at gmail.com. So once you have all your pages in InDesign and you're happily moving images in, there's a few more things you need to think about. I mean, you're not going to create a book. I mean, you could create a book or a zine full of, you know, 48 images on 48 pages and that's it. But typically with a book or a zine, you want to think about how you present it like a book or a zine. So with my um, zine every summer, which I've got in front of me, I've got the front cover here with the name every summer on. And then in smaller letters underneath, uh, small typography, I've put film photographs taken on the Isle of Wight by Matt Murray. Then you open it up and there's an image of the Isle of Wight on the left of the pier at Sandown. And then the first page um, after that is like a title page. So it says every summer in big letters. And um, again, film photographs taken on the Isle of Wight by Matt Murray. And then that whole page is blank, except for the small quotes from Oscar Wilde, which I really love at the bottom of that first page. Turn the page again and you've got an introduction. So on the left hand side there's an image with a description underneath it and on the right hand side I've put a, an introduction from me the author which takes up the whole page. Now I read a really good article from Anal Mystery on Emulsive about this and he wrote about the reasons why you should put an introduction in your zine. So I thought that was really, really wonderful. Um, I was going to put an introduction in there, but after I read his article, I sort of thought more about it. And um, yeah, I sort of refined what I was going to put in there because um, I thought that was really good advice. And so what I'll do as well with the show notes for this, I will link to Anil's article on Emulsive. Now, with the book, I was originally going to do a very standard layout. I didn't want to clutter it up with, you know, you open up one page and there's two photos, the next page has got three photos, the next one's got five. I didn't want to do that. I wanted the images to be as large as they could be um, across the book. So my standard kind of layout for a page is one image per page. Um, mostly landscape orientation images with the occasional portrait uh, orientation image. So those images appear in the middle of the page and there's quite a bit of white space around them and quite a nice you know, margin and stuff like that. So you can see the photograph quite clearly. 
underneath every photo, I've put the name of the photo along with the camera and the film that I used. Now, I really like those details. I'm a real nerd, as you know, with cameras and photography. So I put the, the name of the photo, the name of the camera and the name of the film under every single photo in my book or places where I couldn't put it under the photo. I put it on the next page so, so people could, could know that. Now, occasionally what I did was I did a different layout. So for the ice cream van, there's a little chapter in the book called the ice cream van. And with the ice cream van, what I did was I made the ice cream van a square, I cropped it down to a square image and I filled the page completely with the ice cream van. So there's no white space, there's no white border on that, that page at all. It's all ice cream van. Now, as I've sort of alluded to there, I also... I also wanted to tell the story of the Isle of Wight, our six days on the Isle of Wight. And I did that through two ways. I did it through talking about the places that we visited as a family. But with each sort of location, I tried to tell little stories about why we went there or funny things that happened. And so that's what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to put, add some interesting details about the places on the Isle of Wight uh, and also you know, the funny little stories. So after the introduction to the book, I have a page called the Isle of Wight uh, and it's got a, a full page of text here around why we went to the Isle of Wight and it was basically because my wife used to go here when she was a kid um, with her family and she loved it and that's how we ended up there. I wasn't overly um, enthused about going to the Isle of Wight I must say but what I found when I got there amazed me and it's a kind of a story about how much I love this place so much even though I wasn't even keen to go there. And so after that, I've got probably one, two, three, four, five pages, five double pages of photography. So 10 pages of photography in all um, of different things around the island. Some of those pages, there's a bit of a juxtaposition between the photos. So for, for example, on one set of pages, I've got a 12th century castle. And on the facing page, there's a 20th century brick bus stop. Um, and other pages, for example, I've got um, one one set of pages here with like icons of Britain, basically. So one of them is an old church with a red phone box. And that was taken on pretty much uh, the most cheapest camera I have with me that is Dairy Robot, a plastic camera on Kodak Pro Image 100, which is a very budget kind of friendly film, very good film. And on the opposite page, again, a bit of a bit of a forced comparison here, a juxtaposition, because I, I took an image of a building with the Union Jack flying high, and I took that on my Fujifilm Class S, which is a very expensive point-and-shoot on Kodak Ektachrome, which is one of the more expensive films you can buy. So I sort of really thought out um, how I, I wanted to lay these images out. On the next page, again, I put two images facing each other. One is of a man-made attraction of the Isle of Wight, which is Sandown Pier. And on the other page, it's the beautiful natural attraction, which is a beautiful cliff there on the western edge of the island. So I really thought about how I wanted to lay these images out. And now the next sort of little chapter you come to is called the Steam, the Steam Railway. And there's a one sort of introductory photo and a full page of text telling you about the Steam Railway. The next one is called the ice cream van. So that's a nice little story, a funny little story there about the ice cream van. The next one's called the coastal path. The next one's called the swimmers. The next one after that's called the needles. Then there's the seaside pier. And that's it. That's the, the last sort of little chapter. So I'm sort of sort of trying to weave a narrative through the book of all these places we went to on the Isle of Wight, grouped together by their location, sort of telling the story of why we went there and why I like to photograph those particular locations. Now, I've been talking about these little uh, chapters for a while now. 
So this is another choice you're going to have to make. Do you want text in the book or not? Now, there's a lot of people, it's two schools of thought basically around this. The first is that there shouldn't be too much text in a photo book because the photos should tell the story and you shouldn't need any text to explain everything. That's one school of thought. The other school of thought is that, you know, potentially, you know, writing in the book or little passages of text can give more context um, about the photographer, about why they took that image, about the locations and add more sort of details detail in for people. Now, personally, I'm of the, the latter school of thought. I, I love, you know, I'm a, a bit of a writer. I, I really enjoyed writing the sections uh, for the book. And I think they do give people uh, more context and more information about why I went there, why I wanted to photograph these locations. So that's what I did. I added quite a bit of text into my first zine. You don't have to, uh, you can do whatever you want. It's your publication, but that's generally the two sort of <laughs> opposing sides. One one is no text or very little text, and one is quite a bit of text. And I guess essentially it comes down to, you know, are you comfortable writing? Do you like writing? Do you want to give more people more information? Or would you rather the photos just stand alone by themselves? It's really up to you. Now, when I was laying out all the texts in InDesign, I had another choice to make, which fonts to use. And uh, I wanted it to have a kind of a retro feel, this scene every summer, because a lot of the locations were from the 1970s and 80s. So, for example, we went to a, um, at the Needles, where we had our chairlift ride, and the chairlift was built in the 1970s. The seaside pier we went to was from like the 1880s or something, but it was it was done up. It was refurbished in the uh, the 1980s, uh, and there's quite a few other locations where it did really have a beautiful retro kind of feel and charm. So I wanted to convey that somehow through the the typefaces that I used in the book. And what I did in the end was I used two 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 fonts. So I used one very sort of bubble sort of font, I guess you could call it, um, for the, the titles of the book on the front cover and the chapters throughout the book. And it's a very Larry kind of retro funky looking font. Uh, and then the other font I used for all other texts. So all the explanations of why we went to places, all of the information under the photos, I used another font and that's like a typewriter font. Uh, again, I just wanted to, to have a bit of a retro feel. So I, I used a typewriter font. Um, so I guess my advice with this, again, I'm not a designer, but my advice with this would be number one, make sure the fonts you use can be read easily by people. There are some fonts out there that look really cool, but they're actually quite hard to read. Uh, so make sure that the fonts you use uh, can be easily read. Now, the choice of mine of using a type typewriter style font, typewriter is obviously, you know, a very easy to use font, especially uh, on, the, on the written page. And number two, don't go crazy with 15 different fonts in your zine. I mean, if you if you really want to, you could, but um, I, I guess you'd have to be a really good designer to pull off 15 different fonts in your zine. Um, typically, you know, a more minimalistic approach, a more, um, you know, less is more approach is usually better if you want it to look good. Now, there are a whole load of websites where you can have a look at fonts and download them. I'll link to a couple in the show notes where you can uh, have a look for fonts. Usually with a lot of these fonts, you can use them for free for non-commercial personal projects. 
I'd sort of suggest that, you know, a zine is a, a personal project. It's a non-commercial project. It's not as if you're going to sell a million copies of your zine and, and, and become rich. <laughs> well, unless you're very famous, you probably won't. So I, I think, you know, selling a zine is a, is a personal project. And I think you're probably okay with the, the license, that kind of license. Now, one more layout option I wanted to talk to you guys about was a double page spread. Now, when you're working with a double page spread, it's a little bit different to a normal layout out. So for example, in my zine every summer, there's a couple of times when I completely filled the page with a photo. So I made sure that the, the photo went all the way out to the bleed area. So when the zine was trimmed, there wouldn't be any sort of you know white border area, which looked weird. The printing went all the way to the edge of the paper. So you've got to, you've got to do that again when you do a double page spread, but it's a little bit different because what you're essentially doing when you're doing a double page spread is you're doing two full pages all the way to the bleed. But with Mixum, they give you the advice that you kind of have to overlap them a little bit. Okay. So what it's saying here is, um, in InDesign, make sure your image is split into separate frames on separate pages. Okay. And then move the left hand image to the left by two and a half mil and the right hand side image to the right by two and a half mil with two and a half millimeters, by the way, is a tiny, tiny amount. Um, but you are, it is significant that you do that. So you're actually, what you're doing is you're moving your images away from each other towards the, the, the left and the right hand edges of your zine. And what you have to do in the middle there, there's a five millimeter area in the middle where the image is kind of overlapped. Okay. And it looks weird. Uh, when you're looking at InDesign, but when it's printed, it's going to be in the gutter of the zine. So the gutter is the bit where they glue the pages all together that you don't really see. Okay, so you've just got to get this right. Uh, you don't put one image across the middle of two pages. If you're doing a perfect bound book, you have to have two images and overlap them. So all the information is on Mixum's website. So definitely check that out if you want to do a double page spread. Of course, the other consideration with a double page spread is if you're using, you know, typical uh, three two aspect ratio for 35 mil film, you'll have to crop your image at the top and bottom. Um, so yeah, I mean, essentially what you're looking at is a two by one aspect ratio for a double page spread in a, a square zine. So the two images that I did double page spreads for, uh, so I'm just opening up my zine here. So the first one was near the start uh, and it's an image of a swimmer on the bay in um, Freshwater Bay on the Isle of Wight. There's a nice light leak on the image there as well. But I had to take, uh, I had to crop the image at the bottom and the top. So it worked okay. And then later on, I've got an image of two girls swimming or one's jumping into the sea and one's already in the sea sort of smiling. And again, I had to crop the top and the bottom of that image so it looked okay. And um, I followed the instructions on how to do a double page spread on Mixum's website. Bearing in mind, I've never done this before and it, it turned out really well. It looks great. You can't really, you know, you can't see any duplication in the middle because of the, the, the gutter where they've perfect bound the book. So that looks really nice. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras.
Now, yet another consideration is your cover. So with a perfect bound book, you actually have another area you've got to think about called the spine. So it's obviously the spine of the book. And Mixon will actually estimate for you how wide the spine of your book's got to be. And you could just leave it white, I guess. Um, what I did with my uh, zine every summer, I actually wrapped around the cover image onto the spine. So if you look on the front page of the zine, there's a beautiful ice cream truck there with some uh, blue sky and green grass in the background. And you look at the spine and that blue, green and the white of the the, the car park there is sort of wrapped around onto the spine so it looks quite nice i have seen other books of course where they take one image and they wrap it around the whole front and back cover but i really wanted to use the ice cream van for the front cover and it didn't really suit having a wraparound cover so i just put it on the front cover and continue that image into the spine area Again, there's a little bit of um, fiddling around in InDesign with uh, to create the spine area. It's not much of a big deal. Um, you just got to follow the instructions. And certainly if I do a video on how I laid my zine out, I'll show you what I did with that as well. Now, the back cover of the zine was causing me a few problems for a while because I just didn't know what to put on it. And in the end, I decided to do something kind of simple. What I did was I wrote names of towns that we visited on the Isle of Wight. But I had a sort of an idea in mind and I thought, I wonder if I can write the names of the towns out and if I can sort of highlight a letter from each town and it'll spell something out. So that's what I did. I um, I put the names of the towns, uh, Shanklin, Sandown, Allen Bay, Ride, Carisbrook, Freshwater, Newport, God's Hill, Black Gang, The Needles, Ventnor, and I highlighted a letter in each of the words. And funnily enough, guess what it spells out? It spells out Isle of Wight. So I'll put an image of that on the show notes just so you see. Um, I mean, at first it looks like just a name of town, a list of towns, um, but it does spell out Isle of Wight there as well as being a list of places we went to. Uh, a couple of other things that I also added to the zine. I also added uh, towards the end a dedication. I dedicated the zine to my family and I put a little bit of passage in there about thank you for being patient with me when I do photography stuff. I also wrote a one full page about the cameras I used, where I got them from, how much they cost. Uh, and I, I sort of also said in there, you know what, it doesn't really matter what camera you use. You can take extraordinary, compelling photos with any camera. So just get out there and shoot. Uh, I also had a little passage here about the film that I used and some of the light leaks in the cameras. And the very last page of the book, I had a little section here about my podcast. And I also had a thank you section, um, just thanking some people, uh, some podcasters who, who promoted my podcast uh, when I first started out. And also some people who inspired me with their zines. So that was pretty cool. So there is quite a lot involved. You've got to set your document up in InDesign. You've got to get the margins and the bleed right. You've got to bring your images in. You've got to export them and bring them into InDesign. You've got to write your text for the book. So you might just want to write an introduction or you might just want to put captions in the photos or you can do what I did and write little passages on different sections of the book. There's also, you know, thank you sections to write as well as the design of the, the front and back outside and inside covers, um, creating the image for your spine of the book. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of things to think about, but it is a really fun and creative process. 
So once you've completed that process and you have something in InDesign that you're really happy with, you think you have the finished product, there's a few more steps involved though. So the first one is editing and reviewing what you've done. So go through the entire book. If you've got a lot of text, go through everything. Check the spellings. I actually found two words that I'd spelt wrong, even though I was sure I'd spelt them right. Uh, I Googled them and guess what? I got them wrong. So double check the spellings for everything. If you're mentioning people by name or by Instagram account, double check their names and Instagram accounts. You don't want to, to muck that up and, and put a nice credit in there for the book. Or thank you. And you've actually got their name wrong. That'd be a bit embarrassing. So double check all that stuff as well. Also read through all the texts in the book to make sure everything makes sense. So read every sentence very slowly, word by word, very slowly. Uh, another tip is you could actually start at the bottom of the page and read things backwards to make sure it sounds okay. Um, so, you know, like one sentence at a time in reverse order up the page. Um, now that may sound ridiculous, um, but what quite often happens is, you know, if you write a passage of words, in your mind, you know what you meant to write. And you sort of read it in your mind, um, remembering what you wrote. But sometimes if you've made an error, you won't pick that up. You'll, you'll just sort of remember what you thought you wrote. And uh, it's not necessarily what's on the page. So double check everything. Read it really slowly and try not to make an error or a typo. Uh, you know how earlier I said that I made a mistake with it? I had to move all the internal margins over and it mucked up the, the spacing for the text passages. So I had to rearrange all of them. And when I was rearranging all of them, an extra little word crept in one passage. And because I'd written that passage and because I'd read it a million times checking everything, I didn't even see it. I didn't pick it up. I even asked my wife to check everything. She said it was all fine. Uh, and it wasn't until I had the zines printed and I gave a copy to my mum. My mum is very good at proofreading and, uh, my mum sent me a little message on Facebook and said, oh, yeah, it seems very good, very good. Um, there was one typo, though. On uh, There was an error on that certain page. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? There can't be a, there can't be a typo. Uh, and there was. So I'll, I'll just read it out to you what I put. So we're talking about here going to a cliff to take photos, the cliff edge. And um, my daughter was near the cliff edge. And what I meant to write was... I hadn't wiped her bum, that's my daughter, I hadn't wiped her bum for all those years to see her fall off a cliff into the English Channel. That's part of my amazing words in my book. But an extra all got in there. So it ended up as, I hadn't wiped her bum all for all those years, which doesn't quite make sense. But it wasn't picked up by a spell check. And in my brain, I knew what I wrote, so I kind of ignored that extra word. It's funny how the brain works. Um, but my mum picked it up straight away. So if you're going to get anyone to copy proof or copy read or proof your your work, make sure it's someone who's good at this kind of thing. Uh, I'm giving my next zine to my mum to check, that's for sure. So now you've done all your checks. You're happy. There's no spelling errors, grammatical errors. Everything makes sense. What do you do then? Well, you need to export your zine from InDesign into a PDF. So a PDF is what you will upload to your printer, such as Mixum, and they will take that file and they will make a lovely zine out of it. Now, there's one thing that you do have to do. Now, you do have to convert your zine into CMYK color space as you do this. So, of course, if you have film negatives or positives that you've scanned 
Uh, they get turned into a JPEG or a TIFF usually, and they typically use the RGB color space. Okay, so monitors and screens use the RGB color space. Um, but printing does not use the RGB color space. Printing uses CMYK. Now, there are differences in the gamuts of those color spaces. Um, long story short, there's a lot more colors that can be represented through RGB than CMYK. So what happens is you'll have your beautiful photos that you're really happy with. You'll change them. You'll export your, your zine in InDesign into CMYK in the settings on the export dialog. And all of a sudden, that ice cream van on the front of your zine does not look as bright as it used to um, because in the CMYK color space, it just doesn't have the same amount of colors to recreate that. So that's one thing I would actually encourage you to do early in the zine making process if you're doing color photography. Export your zine early, but way before you finished, just when you've got your photos laid out, so you can see what the photos are going to look like because it's quite possible that the colors and even the brightness or the perceived brightness of these photos will change once you change it from RGB and you change it into a CMYK PDF. So to get over that shock early, uh, export the zine as soon as you can into CMYK just so you, you know what it's going to look like. Now, I did that probably about a month before I sent it to the publisher for the first time. Most of the photos looked fine. There's maybe a subtle change on some photos. Other photos looked the same, but there were a few key photos that I really loved that were different. So what I did was I, I took those photos, uh, the JPEGs, back to Photoshop and just made a few tweaks in terms of their brightness and stuff like that, and also the, the saturation and a few things. And then I re-imported them back into, well, I dragged them from the folder back into InDesign and onto the right page. I re-exported the zine again, and the colors and the brightness of those images looked a lot better, and I was happy. Now, if I compare my printed zine to my PDF version of the zine, yeah, I mean, the ice cream truck looks way brighter on the screen. But, of course, screens are backlit, and they're using the RGB color space. It's always going to look probably a little bit more saturated and a little bit more bright. So don't worry about that too much. It's just the way it is. Um, it's just one of those things. So once you're happy with everything, you can go to Mixum's website and upload your PDF. Uh, it might take a while if you've got crappy internet like I have, uh, but then you can sort of go through uh, and check it all. You can download a proof of it, which will pretty much be the same as your PDF. Uh, and you can order as many copies as you like. So with the first order of my zine, I ordered 25. I was a little bit nervous about how the colors would turn out and the double page spreads and all that. As it turned out, I was really happy with the colors. I was really happy with the production of the zine, the quality. The only thing that let me down was the zine, the first run of the zine was heavier than they predicted. So that's the only thing I had to change really. I chose a number 25 uh, just because 25 zines was at that point where the cost per zine come down a little bit. I didn't want to order 50 or 100 because I wasn't sure I'd sell that many. Uh, as it turns out, uh, when I got the first batch of zines, I had to go back in and order some more for international shipping, uh, change the, the, the paper from 170 GSM down to 150 GSM. Still very good quality, very nice paper. And then I ordered 30 of the second lot. Uh, so that's the international sort of version of the zine that I've been sending around the world the last few weeks. 
Now, I did see a post from Mixum. I don't know if it was on their website or on social media, where it was, uh, but they sort of said something along the lines of that if you're, you know, you can get a test run of your zine printed out. Um, so I'm not sure if that offer is still current. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think it was around when I was doing mine. Uh, but just get in touch with them and see what they can do. If you're nervous about how it's going to turn out in terms of the colors or, or the, the bleed or anything like that, see if you can get a, a, a sort of a test run of the zine before you order more copies. Of course, that is one massive advantage of using companies like Blurb or MagCloud, that print-on-demand service where, you know, Ted Vieira talks about this in his podcast. He orders a book, he gets a, the, the copy of the book and he goes through it and then he tweaks it and he does another version until he's happy. So that's, that's a really powerful uh, advantage of going down the other route of using someone like MagCloud or Blurb. And certainly in the future, I might even look at using them myself. Um, I, I really like Mixum and I, I'm really happy with the result. But, you know, I, I like to experiment and see what else is out there. So who knows? I might go down that route eventually. So once you have your zine, make sure you do some PR, some public relations about your zine launch. So there's a few different things you can do. Of course, social media is a great way of telling people that you connected with, that you've got a zine. The two main ways I did this were through Instagram. I did a whole lot of Instagram stories showing off the zine. And I also posted in a few Facebook groups. Uh, so I think I did the film photography marketplace one. I did Australian film photographers and I did negative positives. In negative positives, it's probably where I know the most people and I had the best sort of <laughs> results. I think seven or eight people at least saw the posts in negative positives and bought it straight away when they saw it. Of course, another outlet I have is this podcast. So I know there's definitely a few people who have written into the podcast before and uh, they bought the zine as well. So thank you so much to them. Now with all these posts, I directed everyone to my website Matt Loves Cameras where I have the zine for sale so I just have a WordPress website and I have all the details on the zine how many pages what kind of paper all that kind of stuff I've got a few sample uh, double page spreads from the zine on there and I have some PayPal buttons. So I had to go into PayPal and upgrade my account from a personal account to a business account because I'm selling the zine in three different currencies. I'm selling them in Australian dollars, British pounds, and US dollars. Uh, and so then I just created in PayPal three different uh, PayPal buttons. And they sort of, you know, when you click on them in order, you get thrown over to PayPal, you log in, and then you confirm everything. And it says, do you want to buy Matt Love's camera, zine, or whatever it says? And then you get thrown back to the website. So that's what I did there. I have uh, yeah, a single page with three different PayPal buttons on. Now, as the initial offer, when you bought the zine, I said that any orders before the end of May will receive some limited edition postcards. And so I've been sending everyone little postcards with the zine. They're just little promo things. They're called art prints which are essentially just little photo postcards. Uh, so there's a nice image on the front uh, and on the back it's got what the name of the image is along with my website address in small lettering. I still have plenty of postcards left. So if you did want to order a zine uh, from my website, mattlovescameras.com, uh, I certainly have enough postcards to keep sending people throughout June as well. Now, one thing I really love when I looked at other people's zines 
was the one that Ben Mills did for Hip Shoot Film. So he had a page on his website, which is basically, it's almost like that Kickstarter kind of thing where if you do an early order of the zine, you know, you might get a roll of film and some stickers. And then the next level up is you just get some stickers or there's a third level, you know, for people who buy it late or whatever. But I thought that was really clever. It's sort of like a, a Kickstarter idea. The earlier you get the zine, the sort of more little fun things you get. Uh, and it sort of taps into that um, notion of scarcity, you know, in sales. You know, if people think there's only a, f- a few of a certain item, they'll try and get in quick to get it, you know, and get a good deal. Uh, so I thought that was really clever. Um, I looked at doing that for my zine launch, but it meant that I had to put a, a shopping cart or something on my website. And I just couldn't um, be have the time, couldn't be bothered. I didn't have the time to do all that. So um, the first 20 people, I think I sent an Instax photo to. Um, of either boats or martial Dalmatian. Um, so that's what I did with mine. There are some other ways that you could promote your zine. You could also send them to podcasters and ask them to review your zine. And I just had a zine swap with Vanya from All Through a Lens podcast. So I sent her my zine oh, about a month ago now. I haven't heard from her whether she's got it or not. Uh, and she sent uh, hers to me at the same time and I haven't got hers uh, but there are quite big delays with the post uh, at the moment so hopefully the zines will arrive soon so yeah send your zine to a podcaster and who knows you might get a shout out um, another way to get some PR is write an article about some of the images and send it to Emulsive or 35mmc or Cosmo Photo and who knows they might you know feature your article and this, I'm sure there's also other websites out there you could send it to as well. But they're three that uh, are really good with uh, supporting the film photography community. Now, just bear in mind, I know with Emulsive in particular, M gets deluged with so many articles. There could be a significant wait time if you send M an article. Uh, I think I might have heard him say there's a few month wait for the five frame series. Um, recently. Uh, I think that's correct. Um, I know he was doubling up his publishing in April to try and get through the backlog during all the, the, the quarantine, but I believe you know it's so popular there is a significant delay uh, in getting your article published. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. So what makes a good zine? The best ones I've seen are a mix of being entertaining, inspiring, and useful. Now, they could be entertaining in a few different ways. So, for example, Matthew Joseph's zines that he sent me, which I don't think you can buy. I think you just have to um, be on the list of people he sends his zine to. Uh, but his are very good. They're, you know, There's excellent photography throughout the zine. But he's got a, a very you know offbeat kind of humour, um, very funny sense of humour, and so you know through Matthew Zines I learnt that you know it doesn't have to be completely serious um, thing. It can be like a reflection of your personality and your humour. So I really enjoyed his zines for that reason. Another one in a very similar way was Eric's uh, Conspiracy of Cartographers. Eric, of course, is a host of the All Through a Lens podcast. And I bought two of his physical zines and one of his e-zines, like a PDF zine. And it was in that e-zine, it was actually called uh, All Through a Lens Issue 1. So I think this predated the podcast, even though it's got the same name. 
And in this little page here, he's got a section called You Should Do a Zine. And it's all about how you, you should do a zine and you shouldn't be doing it to try and make money. And there's a great line here. Uh, where is it? Down the bottom somewhere. My advice is to let the zine be a part of the whole experience. Think of it as another expense, like a new lens or film. It's part of the budget. That's a really good way of thinking of it. Um, don't get into a zine thinking you're going to make a lot of money because unless you're famous, unless you're really well known, you probably won't. Uh, my goal really with this whole zine thing was to maybe break even. Um, but I don't think, because I've given a few copies of the zine away to family and friends, uh, I don't think it's actually possible mathematically for me to break even. For example, on that uh, purchase price of $17.50 uh, US, so $7 more or less goes to Australia Post. $1 goes to PayPal for their fee for, for accepting my money and giving it back to me. So we're already down to, what, $9.50. And the zine, I think, costs about $8.60 US. So there's only really about one US dollar approximately profit on each zine that I sell. And I put the word profit in air quotes because, of course, even with uh, even if I sold 100, uh, the minute you give some copies of the zine away, you know, you, you're always going to be behind. So I certainly not thinking of this as a money making thing. It's just a way to get my photography out there. And hopefully it's something that people will enjoy, like, comment on, tell their friends about, hopefully uh, for, for good reasons. Um, so that's really tapping into that ethos uh, that Eric wrote about in that book. And there's just one more line from Eric that I want to highlight here. <laughs> there's a great uh, sentence here which really made me um, laugh. You you are not Ansel Adams. You're not even Don Adams. Um, so for younger people, you may not know who Don Adams was. He was an actor and he played the lead role of uh, secret agent Maxwell, Maxwell Schmart. Uh, that's a terrible impression. Uh, Secret Agent 86 of Control. And so Get Smart was a, uh, a spy spoof. It was sort of making fun of James Bond and all those other spy dramas that came out in the 60s. And um, it, so Maxwell Smart was played by Don Adams. Um, he actually, I, I found out later, he was uh, friends with Hugh Hefner, old Don Adams, and he used to hang out at the Playboy Mansion all the time in his later years. Uh, it's summer retirement, isn't it? Uh, so, yeah, so there you go. You're, you're not Ansel Adams. You're not even Don Adams. Uh, and of course, you can't mention uh, Get Smart without mentioning the lovely Barbara Feldon, who played uh, Agent 99, who is uh, the, the clever one of the, of the combination of uh, agents 86 and 99 so yeah Barbara Feldman played Agent 99 and uh, I think I, you know as a young lad I was a little bit in love with old Agent 99 I, I think there's a lot of uh, people out there who probably were <laughs> Now, you might be thinking, well, hang on, Matt, if this was popular in the 60s, you're not that old, are you? Uh, no, I'm not that old. But when I was growing up in the, well, I was born in the 70s, I was growing up watching TV in the 80s, and Get Smart was on constant reruns, uh, usually on a Saturday afternoon. So on a Saturday afternoon, I'd sit down in front of the TV and, and watch two, three, four episodes of Get Smart back to back. And um, I, I really loved it. And recently, I've, I've actually started watching it again. Uh, I found it on a, a show on our satellite TV. And, uh, I, you know, I think some episodes are just as funny as they used to be. Some episodes are probably not quite as good. It's funny, I've also been watching other shows. So I watched some of the goodies. I used to love the goodies as a kid. And watching the goodies now, it's I found it really slow. And, like, there was nothing much going on in some episodes. 
so that was really weird to watch that again and go, what did I ever see in this as a kid? I mean, there were some obviously very funny parts of the goodies, but maybe the episodes I watched weren't very good. And the other one I watched the other day was Are You Being Served, which is pretty much the um, a British sitcom uh, uh, laden with double entendres. Uh, and I actually found that hilariously funny. Um, completely politically incorrect. Anyway, let's get back to zines. Now, in one of Eric's other zines, I think it's uh, Conspiracy of Cartographers, Volume Issue 4, Vericolor. Uh, he actually has um, a recipe in the back cover, Mix Your Own ECN2 Developer. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about in terms of making things useful, you know, and being inspiring. So, you know, in one zine, he's inspiring people to do their own zine and sort of laying out why you should do it and do it for the right reasons. Don't do it thinking you're going to get rich. Another one of his zines, he's he's giving people a recipe to make their own ECN2 developer. So there you go. Don't think of it as just photography. Think of it as a, a way to show off your writing skills or your humor or, or make things useful or inspiring for people. You know, tell them how you do things. Tell them the recipes for your developers or how you create something or why you do things a certain way uh, or why you make the choices you make when you take photos. It's all really interesting information. And if you can make your zine inspiring, entertaining, funny, useful... That's a really good thing. Now, having said all that, there is one area where you could make quite a bit of profit on your zine, and that is through the digital sales of the zine. Of course, with the digital sales, you don't have the cost of producing the publication with the printer. You don't have the cost that you have to pass on to the consumer of the shipping. So, you know, if you sell your zine for, for two, three, four, five dollars um, through electronic means, you've only really got the, the cost then of taking the money through PayPal or something like that. So there you go. That's one way that you could probably recoup a bit of money and offset the costs of the printing by selling your an e-version of your zine. And quite a few people do that. So on my website, I've kept uh, the page about every summer, my first film photography zine just about the physical copies of the zine but what I'm going to do starting today is I'm going to give away an electronic copy of every summer to people who donate to my coffee yes I have started a coffee I actually started it a couple of months ago and just put it on my website very quietly and didn't tell anyone about it so coffee is uh, it's spelled k-o-f-i you probably heard of other film <laughs> film photography podcasters using coffee to raise funds for uh, different things, for costs of the podcasts or projects and things like that. I mean, you know, really, it's not a film photography podcast these days unless you have a coffee page, right? <laughs> so I've, I've joined the crowd and I've got one as well. And I did actually add it to my website uh, some time ago and just sort of left it on the sidebar of my website. And lo and behold, I was actually really shocked the other morning. I haven't told anyone about it. Uh, I haven't mentioned it on the podcast uh, because I was actually going to launch it uh, when I did the e-version of my zine. But the other day, um, probably about three days ago, I had a lovely little surprise to wake up to. God, that sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? Um, but I looked, looked at my email when I woke up and um, I had a lovely message. It was from Jim from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Thank you so much, Jim. Jim's actually been on the website, mattlovescameras.com, and he bought me a coffee. Uh, so thank you so much to Jim. Uh, and he put a little message here. Love the intros by the kids. And thanks for not 
unsuccessfully trying to be hilariously funny well thank you so much jim um that really made my day uh, made my week actually um thank you so much uh he bought me a coffee for three american dollars uh which will go towards my yearly podcast hosting uh so my yearly podcast hosting i think it's about 108 dollars from memory us and um my website hosting it's a bit more expensive i think it's about 150 us dollars so i'm going to be raising money on coffee uh uh, to to put towards those costs of the podcast. But if you do um, give me a little donation of three US dollars, you will get an e-zine. You will get a copy of Every Summer in PDF, in beautiful RGB color space color. Uh, so there you go. Uh, yeah, if you go over to uh, coffee.com, so it's ko-fi.com, forward slash Matt Loves Cameras, you'll see the uh, beautiful X-Pan picture I took of the pink flowers in Brisbane at the top of the screen. There's a picture of my ugly mug (laughs) and it says, buy a coffee for Matt Loves Cameras. And if you do that, I'm going to give you the every summer zine. And uh, I haven't actually done this, but I think how it works is you give $3 and then you get access to the subscriber goodies and I will upload the PDF file to the coffee website. Now, Jim in Victoria, um, in British Columbia, Canada, don't worry, Jim, my friend, I've got you covered. I've got your email address from when you sent me a coffee. So I will be getting in touch with you and sending you a copy of my zine. The zine is about 45 megabytes, I think. Um, So I'll send Jim a thank you email first. Uh, I don't want to attach a 45 megabyte uh, email to a file uh, in case Jim has crappy internet like me. Uh, But Jim is in Canada. I'm sure Jim's got great internet. Um, So there you go. So from today, uh, if you go to coffee.com forward slash Matt Loves Cameras, you can get a copy of my first scene every summer. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to add more and more things onto my coffee page. So I think I'm going to do a little video. I've mentioned this already. It'll be a video, uh, like a screen recording of me mucking around with InDesign, just showing you a few things I know. Uh, so that'll go up on the coffee site soon for subscribers. And also, um, I'm also going to put my second film photography zine on there soon. So I'm putting that together at the moment. I think it'll be ready sometime, probably in July, and that's going to be called Rolled Gold. So supporters of my coffee page will also get that, and who knows what else they might get. Now, just one final word on the audience for your zine. You know, also think uh, about who the audience is for your zine. Is there a wider audience beyond just film photographers? So, for example, recently I listened to a really good podcast episode uh, from George's On The Streets podcast. Very good podcast, that is. So make sure you check that out, On The Streets podcast with George. And uh, George was interviewing Charlie Tom about his Chernobyl um, zine. I can't remember what the name of the zine is now, uh, but it was a really, really interesting episode. And um, Charlie was saying on that podcast uh, about how he was selling the zine to people who like film photography, but also people who just were interested in the whole Chernobyl thing, in the whole Soviet Union. Um, so there you go. There are potentially, you know, double or triple audiences um, for your zine, not just film photographers. There could be other people who are interested based on the subject matter. So talking about other podcasts and other resources, um, I'm going to put a list of useful resources in the show notes. So the first one it will be that interview with Charlie Tom that George did on the On the Streets podcast. There's also um, a really good podcast episode that uh, Shan Morrison told me about. I think it was Analog Talk, and they interviewed one of the guys 
who worked at Blurb. That was really fascinating. Um, I'll link to one of the Barnaby Nuts um, episodes. <laughs> There's been quite a few. He, he gets around a lot, right? Um, <laughs> but he's obviously part of the uh, Viewfinder Vikings podcasts. Uh, with Sven, and um, he's also been on the Negative Pause and on the Sunny 16, so I'll link to one of those podcasts as well. I mentioned earlier that uh, emulsive article that Anal Mystery wrote about making a zine, that is, yeah, really good reading, definitely look that one up. And of course, also the best voice in film photography podcasting, probably the, probably the best voice in podcasting, Ted Vieira, uh, his uh, excellent podcast and his excellent YouTube channel. And in both of those uh, channels, you know, YouTube and his podcast, he talks about the, the process of creating a zine and what he does. So they're really good listening as well. So we've talked about the best voice in podcasting. Uh, this here is the tiredest voice in podcasting right now. I've been blabbing on for an hour and a half this episode, probably one of the longer episodes of Matt Loves Cameras. I hope you have enjoyed it. I hope you've got some useful info out of it if you are thinking about making your own zine. It's a really wonderful, cool, uh, sort of very rewarding process to go through. So if you haven't done one yet, definitely think about it. And if you've got any questions, uh, definitely reach out to me at mattlovescameras at gmail.com. So don't forget, there are about 30 days left if you want to enter the cheap plastic pano challenge. 30 days left. It ends on the 30th of June 2020. So make sure you get along to mattlovescameras.com, see which cameras are eligible and put a roll of film through and enter that competition. So if you've got your Ypic panorama, you've got your Ansco pics, you've got your other cheap plastic focus-free camera, get along, shoot some film and uh, enter the competition. I'd love to see some more entries. That's it for this time. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Sorry about that, Chief. forward slash Cassie NMZ. Check the show notes for the link.